Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind the new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 72 of the podcast, the topic is what is Tulip University? Our guest is John Claus, head of product education at Tulip. And in this conversation, we talk about the role of uh, Tulip University, the way it helps operators get a flying start, the ambitions and the way that manufacturing training can be simplified as the industry needs to train millions of workers. Augmented is a podcast for industrial leaders, process engineers, and shop floor operators, hosted by futurist Trond Anna Unheim and presented by Tulip. John, how are you? I'm great, Tron. How are you doing? It's good to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to be talking to you. So, John, you and I, you know, we started Tulip not very long ago from kind of these backgrounds that aren't immediately obvious for the roles that we have. I wanted to cover the fact that you actually have a music background. You went to Eastman yep. School of Music. I did. You can tell me more about, you know, your instrument, but then you went on to the PhD in music history That's at Yale. Correct. Yep. You have a book coming up in November also true. 2022 on Duke University Press, Breaks in the Air, The Birth of Rap Music in New York correct. City. Yep. Yeah. Tell me, first off, music. A lot of people like music, but you got your education in music. How come? Well, this is going way back, but I was a, uh, was a terrible student in high school. Um, it's like about as bad as you can be. And I realized that if I wanted to go to college, I would need to be good at something. And I happen to love playing the trumpet, just like obsessed with music and the trumpet. So through a lot of very hard work and some good opportunities, I got decently good at it and sort of decided I wanted to play in orchestras for the rest of my life. And that's the kind of goal you can have at 16 before you realize it's just like entirely unfeasible and not like really a viable career path. So started there, had another similar realization where I was not going to be a performer, got to school and everybody was better than me. So I was like, okay, what's a, what's a sidestep from this? And instead of playing music, it was being a professor and writing about music at school. I fell in love with history added a degree to that um, and wound up doing a PhD in music at uh, Yale. And again, I thought I was going to be a professor and also not a viable career path anymore. So went through that, uh, wrote a dissertation on the history of rap radio in New York, wrote some other stuff about how bird watchers listened to birdsong in the time of climate change, just like a lot of oral history and ethnographic work, just like learning how people experience the world. And then got to the end and was like, all right, well, if I, if I need to actually find some sort of gainful employment, like what skills do I have that actually translate over? And the answer is interacting with people and learning how they think. And in industry, marketers do that. They really try to figure out what people are going to do and anticipate that and productize it. Well, John, I mean, you have some other skills. You're brilliant at writing and you are very intuitive. So maybe that goes to understanding how people think. But um... You're too nice, John. <laughs> Look, I empathize with that a little bit. This is not about me, but I also was about to get a musical career. And That's right. I diverted before you and decided classical guitar was not a viable career. And I would have realized later probably that my skills had a certain ceiling. I sort of thought so, although the teachers were very enthusiastic. But it is a very bold choice. But I do envy you one thing, John, which is you got a very, very solid foundation in music. And I'm sure that is helping you in a lot of other areas it teaches you how to work really hard and to like focus on outcomes because at the end of the day when you're playing you're naked there is no hiding it that's something that carries over to basically every other facet of life 
got to put out good stuff. People know. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think really connects, and that's why I kind of wanted to go a tiny bit into your music story here is, you know, we're talking about education or we're talking mm-hmm. about on, on the job training here. So what sure. is Tulip University? There is a connection, I'm sure. We can noodle a little bit on what, what that connection is. But even if you just kind of start unbundling what Tulip University, obviously university, right? So a lot of corporations mm-hmm. and startups start using this word which does imply there's a learning journey involved here. Absolutely. So we're selling a product, but there's a learning journey involved. Can you give us your best take on why there is such a thing as Tulip University and you know, kind of the history of the initiative? Yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think you're dead on and very observant there that a lot of SaaS companies and a lot of technology companies will have some sort of online product education as a way of improving their users onboarding experience, activating more users and making their users able to go further and get more out of the product in the long run. And this becomes uh, sort of a marketing tool on the very simple end of the spectrum. If you have very simple products where you might not need a lot of additional skill building to a, a complete necessity when you have a product that's on the very complex end of the spectrum. And I would put Tulip somewhere in the middle to easy, where it's not the most complex. It's something that everybody can use, but it presupposes a couple skills and a lot of context that individuals can definitely do, but they might not necessarily bring to it. So what I see Tulip University doing is bridging that gap between these subject matter experts, these people who know their operations cold, they're there in person on the front lines every day doing the work and the sort of computational background that traditional software developers would use. So the idea is to meet them in the middle and say, okay, I know exactly how we produce our widgets, but now I need to make software to make it easier, more efficient, more visible to produce those widgets. We're really filling in the gaps there. John, not to draw the music metaphor too far, but it takes a certain musicality. And also, impressively, I mean, you yourself were not a software developer. So it does speak to the solution itself that the company has put someone who is clearly, you know, literate in music and literate in many things and maybe, you know, fast learner, despite what you claim the institutional experience was in, you know, elementary and high school to train others in a arguably fairly complex, I mean, certainly it's a technology, it is a technology company. So when did Tulip University start and what what is it exactly? Yeah, so I will answer that question, but I do want to follow up on your observation that I used to be very insecure about the fact that I don't have a technical background until I realized that it's a point that I share with a lot of our users. It's much easier to empathize with someone when you say, okay, they're going through exactly the same thing. I'm going through as they learn this product, I can actually take that and use that experience and distill down all of these things that a lot of more technical people might take for granted. Maybe I should actually ask you one thing before my original question, Uh, just because it's a podcast about learning. So there might be people tuning in who have no idea what what Tulip is. Just in one sentence, what is Tulip? So that's the objective of this training. So what is it that Tulip is trying to do? And then tell me, you know, what Tulip University is doing in that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the million dollar question. I, in one sentence, what Tulip is trying to do is let people who are on the front lines develop software for the particular challenges they face in their work. It's a generative platform that allows people to create new software very quickly and without a lot of the overhead that comes from traditional software development processes. And this is what across the industry, not even in manufacturing, is sort of called low code or no code programming. So it's essentially a visual programming language where it extracts away all of the stuff that you're doing in code and allows you to move some stuff around the screen and essentially come out with sophisticated software products very quickly. 
So if that 100% was true, if the vision was complete with no code, would there be a need for a Tulip University? I think absolutely there would, because you're not just learning these transferable skills. You're not just learning to think computationally and to write functions and deal with databases and data models, but you're learning how to transfer what's happening in one domain, and that is the domain of software and solutions to your domain, which is physical products, operations, people. And that mapping, I think, is extremely important. That's a place where education can help out a lot. When did Tulip University start? Was it something that Tulip pursued relatively early? I would say relatively early in our maturity as a company. So I think online learning tends to come late for a lot of companies. They tend to have an instructor-led model for a long time. And we were very fortunate in that we launched Tulip University at the very end of 2019 and very beginning of 2020. So this is something that they had a single individual working on. He came out with a really wonderful bootstrapped early Tulip University right before the pandemic hit. So if there was ever a perfect time to have a um, e-learning, like self-serve education service come out, that was it. So you said e-learning, self-serve. What is it that is being served up? Can you give a little lineup of where this started? What were the first few courses? What is it that you're actually teaching people? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're actually teaching people is a couple of things. Now, I would put them into three distinct buckets. So One, I would call just like pure how to use Tulip, like features, functionality, product things, where they're very straightforward tutorials on this is how you create a database in Tulip. This is how you write trigger logic. This is how you create specific types of applications. So first we have the feature type courses. The second we have, I would call them context courses, which is like, this is how you create this particular use case with Tulip. So work instructions, quality machine monitoring, production visibility, all of our sort of bread and butter use cases. And these would be an instructor giving you sort of a model scenario. So you're a production manager at this plant, you need to figure out what your work orders are doing at any given time, create an application to do that. So then walk you through all the sort of design decisions you need to make at any given point to produce an application that successfully does that. And then finally, you would have methodology courses, which are slightly vaguer, A good one would be how to pick a first use case. So not building that use case, but what's the uh, sort of business and operational thinking or the business and operational cases you need to make to pick a use case in the first place or user interface design. So all of the thought process you need to go through and all the research and considerations you need to mull over before you can actually produce an application interface that works for the people who are going to use it, those operators or engineers on the end. Would it be fair to say that Tulip kind of started with factories as the use case and has moved a little beyond? Tulip calls itself a frontline operations platform that is much wider. In theory, I mean, this concept can mean many things, but you're at the front lines in many industries and uh, that puts you perhaps even into the supply chain. So it's much more than just the factory workers at their stations. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And this was a place that our customers were naturally taking us. So we have our core, like from the beginning, discrete manufacturing base. But then we started to find that there were users who were pushing us into applications that we wouldn't normally have thought about. And applications, I'm thinking here, it's not just a specific tool, a piece of software, the application a user would build, but kind of use for the software in general. So we didn't anticipate there being warehousing and logistics use cases right away, but our users pushed us there. Or in specific industries like life sciences, they might not think of themselves as manufacturing in the same way that an automotive manufacturer might think of. But this is still an operational domain that has a lot of use for Tulip, and we're finding good traction there. 
What would you say the ambitions are behind this university effort? Is it to truly take 100% product education over? Because one, one of the reasons I'm asking is I thought some of the vision behind Tulip was also that you're empowering people to learn for themselves. So there's this delicate balance between actually teaching and enabling. Can you speak to the ultimate ambitions of, of a platform like this? And also, I understand right now it's an online platform that leads to a certain path dependence. The ambitions are twofold. So there's the very pragmatic, which are from a business perspective, the more people who are able to successfully use Tulip, the better it's going to be for us. Like no reason not to just speak from an honest point of view there. But I think also there is that sort of more grandiose looking at the big picture perspective where the world is moving in a particular direction very fast. And that is direction that assumes people, if not to be able to write software, to at least understand the concepts beneath software development. There's a sort of computational literacy that a lot of jobs require or that a lot of employers expect that isn't necessarily being cultivated on a lot of career paths. And one thing that we're able to do as a platform that's teaching no code is teach these underlying concepts along the way. So yes, it's, it's great for us when more people can use Tulip, but it's also a really great opportunity if people are looking to learn sort of transferable skills that can go to any platform or a lot of new technologies as they come out. Well, John, that starts to get interesting because, you know, as I want to kind of uh, uh, get to in a second, this challenge in the workforce of training and retraining and skilling and reskilling, whatever that favorite concept is, is an enormous deal. And yes. largely, people think of it as a technology challenge. We have to teach people advanced technology, especially like AI and robotics. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people will be left behind and the machines will take over. How do you see this challenge, given that you know, you're involved in sort of day-to-day -day facilitation of, I guess, mindsets, and, but also just practical skills so that operators, I guess, on the shop floor, for example, can build their own digital applications based on what you said, their own use case, their own work is being digitized and made more efficient, or they're gaining analytics on, on top of it, but they have to build it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is why I think it's critical not to teach particular technologies, but teach those enabling frameworks and mindsets and concepts that underlie many technologies. And the ones that are super relevant to us would just be computational logic. So working with functions, storing things in variables, and then using those variables to do all sorts of stuff, like really basic things that sort of have a background in the kind of mathematics we do at middle and high school, but are put to very different use. Or taking that sort of Excel magic that a lot of people have figured out throughout their career because they've been forced to and making them realize that's actually a transferable skill if you can sort of move the pieces in a different way and use the same concepts with a different syntax. Hmm. What would you say, I mean, it's sort of early days, but what is the impact so far of these courses? What are you learning from putting these courses out there? Are, are people taking them? Are they being more efficient afterwards? Are they developing apps? Yeah, I can say we definitively see that people who take these courses are more productive and can do more afterwards than those that don't. And how much does it take? Are we talking six months of taking, you know, 15 different courses here? Or are we talking, you know, one course and then run off and do something meaningful, impactful? What amount of time and effort in investment is this? That's a really great question. And the answer is sort of unsatisfying. And it really depends on what the individual is bringing to it and what their background experience is. 
So individuals who have already written software and know a ton of stuff might just need to learn some specifics of the platform. They might just need to go through, figure out the details of a couple features, and then they're off and running. Individuals who have less of a background or might be less certain or confident about their own abilities might need to go through a couple courses and they might need to take a couple courses more than once and go through. And it's one of the benefits of self-service. You can go through and repeat things as necessary. But if you're talking about just like terms of days or hours or months needed to do it, we see people start to be proficient in terms of being able to do very basic things after a couple hours, so maybe three to four hours. And this is assuming someone with no prior experience, no coding experience. And then after a week or two weeks, maybe putting 20 hours into the platform, they're able to write fairly complex software applications. Hmm. And then after a couple months, they're moving into the territory of power users. Wow. How do you distinguish between the university efforts and the user community that also exists around various products? Or, or, you know, obviously they're they're, the client relationships also, but there's an extended user community of people who are perhaps aware of all the strategic things, but perhaps not. They have been given this platform. They're sort of exploring a little on their own. Do you find that they come to university and then to the user community and use both sources of information or how does it work? I mean, that's certainly why they're there. I don't have anything in front of me to see the exact overlap, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was quite a bit of overlap. One thing I've observed, so in in my past life as well, as a PhD student, I've taught for five years. I taught music theory and history in the classroom. And it's particularly with music theory, when you're teaching a very, very abstract concept, it's really important for students to be able to ask questions right away because they're going to be interpreting what you're giving them through all sorts of information and frameworks that they bring to the material. And those questions can be pretty esoteric, but it's important that they be able to ask them because they're all going to interpret the material in a different way. And that sort of is the role I see community among many other roles for that platform. It's an excellent platform, but it's particularly as it relates to university, having students be able to go to university, learn the material, experience it, and then go into community and ask their questions and have someone who's been there and done that, give them a very quick and succinct answer is extremely important. Uh, John, can you put me in the shoes of an operator who's perhaps let's start with someone who's exploring Tulip. What is the first step here? Let's say they come on to university and they have been introduced through some way. I mean, it doesn't really matter how, but they somehow ended up there and they clearly have use cases or they clearly have business challenges like everybody else. What would they typically do and where would you recommend they start exploring? Yeah, so um, we have two really great introductory classes. One is called How to Build Your First Application that takes you through the fundamentals of the platform from I have no exposure to this, but good process knowledge in about an hour. So if you're looking for the fastest introduction to Tulip, that's a great course and a good place to start. If you're looking for something that uh, breaks it down to like a little bit more granular level, takes a little bit more time, there's also a certification course that takes about three to four hours end to end, depending on how much you're going to skip and what your background is. But the other thing I would say is I wouldn't just advocate going to university and trying to follow along as the only thing you do. As I mean, as much as like I'm invested in this being successful and my professional life is dedicated to making it successful. But I would also just say, play around with the platform and get your hands dirty. Experiment. Try to get frustrated. Like see where the boundaries are. See what you're able to do. And then use something like university as a way to fill in the gap and give you a little bit more direction once you've already started to twist the knobs and pull the levers. 
Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, clearly this is not university for university's own sake. You're not in it to create certifications for people per Precisely. se, right? That's not the main motivation. How about if you're a plant manager or, or team leader, or, or even if you are the CEO or the CTO or whatever it is of an entire organization, how should they think about training? So let's say they actually have signed up or they're serious about exploring this. They're like, we are going to explore this tulip or this no-code environment. How should they think about training? Should they just let people know that this thing exists? You know, there's so much discussion in this literature about, you know, how do you digitize? And a lot of it is, you know, follow some like best practice template and just do it this way. Yeah. Is, is that possible? That's a great question. And a lot of it revolves around your approach to resource building. And I would think university and professional services and all the other ways that you engage with a company like Tulip or with a product like Tulip, there's some means of developing internal resources or people who are going to be Tulip subject matter experts at that company. So the great thing about a property like university is it allows you to develop many, many subject matter experts. Many people can go through and learn the platform and become very proficient users on their own. But if I were someone in executive level, I would make sure that you have that one person or that team of people who knows the platform cold, who know what the best teaching options are, the courses that are right for their operations, who can field questions internally, who can figure out when like, no, go take this course, figure that out versus, okay, no, maybe we need to escalate this and figure this out internally. Make sure you have those people. Do you have any anecdotes or any kind of feedback from people who have been involved with university that sort of strikes you that you always come back to when you're creating the next course or the course plan? What is something that people have told you about it or, or some sort of comment that they have put? So I don't know if this is like the inspirational nugget you're looking for, but sort of the mantra I keep coming back to is that people in manufacturing and operations are busy and they don't necessarily want to spend their free time cracking away at trying to solve a problem or in building a tulip for tulip's sake. So everything we build needs to be done with that person's schedule in mind. So we try to keep things as manageable as possible, as engaging as possible and always interactive. So whatever your model of sort of the stereotypical, like I'm going to take my coffee break and suffer through this corporate training is we're trying to do the opposite. Well, that's fascinating. Let's move a little bit to the characteristics of sort of next generation industry training and initiatives, because clearly COVID has been a massive impetus to that. Generally, I guess online education was on its own path, but then, you know, COVID sort of intervened. But the workforce challenge of, of training billions of workers has been there for a while now. What would you say is the approach? What should be the approach? If you are a startup trying to enter the scene like a Tulip, or you are a large corporation realizing I have hundreds of thousands of workers, what kinds of industry training initiatives do you see emerging? So you, you said sort of modularized, I guess, or that, that's kind of what I'm interpreting from what you're saying. There's a little trend called micro learning. So like nuggets of, of skills and then sort of like building on top of that. Is that the way it's going? And how, how easy is that? You've, you've done it now for a while. It sounds kind of almost too easy to be true. Aren't you losing something in this process? Because learning used to be very, very kind of an organized thing. You'd say like, okay, yep. here's the hierarchy, got to get a foundation, and then we're going to move into these pieces and maybe there's some optionality. But generally this idea that you can just build a tiny little Lego piece on the other Lego piece, do the pieces necessarily all fit together? Yeah, so I mean, that's a massive 
massive question because I think the core of that question is like, how do we better design broad scale rescaling at scale? Yes, precisely. So for small tasks and even for large like this, I keep coming back to. So like, what is the outcome that you're hoping for? Sometimes I feel like these large discussions of rescaling can sort of turn into amorphous, like we are going to look at these broad skills, like we're going to build more database literacy or where everybody's going to learn SQL and they're not necessarily outcome oriented. So like, what do we actually want for the particular people who are undergoing this reskilling? And unless you have the clear outcomes there, I'm not sure that any program, no matter how modular or how well the Legos fit together, is going to be successful. In terms of delivery, I've seen the most success using a hybrid model where there's a very clear outcome and content is always available to students through e-learning, but there's a certain amount of engagement with an instructor that allows them to overcome gaps, to get personalized feedback, and to keep them motivated to want to come back. E-learning has a notoriously high attrition rate for students, so anything that can keep people invested and moving forward is good. Well, isn't that why the tie-in with the product is so important? Because if people are actually exploring real use cases that matter to them in their work life, it's not just that they would look good in front of the manager, but their their own work might actually be carried out more efficiently, right? If they came up with this app. And then yeah. you know, maybe they might get some credibility for it too, who knows? But, but there are even precedents, and I'm thinking of a good example being HubSpot's education, where they offer a lot of certifications and a lot of education that doesn't necessarily tie directly into their product usage. Like Clearly, there is some relevance there, and most of the things you're teaching, you'll be able to use on the platform, but it's also things that would carry over to other adjacent products. So you touched upon this idea that online learning in and of itself is hitting some sort of natural boundaries. There are people on the opposite end who get so excited now by, you know, augmented and extended and uh, blended and whatever the words are, realities. And then now you, of course, have the metaverse, this idea that we're moving towards this physical internet where we're going to start preferring to actually engage online. Well, I mean, arguably, if that's going to happen, maybe the workplace is the first place that that should happen or, or could happen. But But where are we with that? I mean... Are you using or thinking about using these very sort of advanced technologies to do the training? Or do you feel like plain old video courses are sufficient to the point where they actually obviously have to be matched by, like you said, a, a real instructor, a, a real problem, and there has to be some amount of back and forth there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I might be inferring a little here because I'm not, I'm not sort of as much of a futurist as you are. But my sense is that any new interface without requiring a lot of training just to get up and running on the interface is going to need to be completely self-explanatory for it to have any educational value. Like if a learner is focused on trying to actively do the learning that the interface is making complicated, then they're not going to be focused on what they're supposed to learning. It'll be incredibly distracting. And I also worry that there's this sort of a uh, trying to go too far too soon with these products where, as I mentioned earlier, there, there are concept gaps that are missing. And if you can't fill in the stairs at the bottom of the case, there's no sense in trying to scale the stairs at the top of the case first. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So then how do you take it to the next level? I mean, as you are looking to, I'm sure, make Tulip University as advanced as it can be, as impactful for Tulip and for yourself, like you said earlier, make it a very successful initiative. Where do you go for inspiration? You mentioned HubSpot. You look at other 
successful companies that have extensive training solutions. Do you find that there is a lot of great training out there or do you feel like, you know, almost just having done this for a little while, even like a year or two, you're sort of very quickly reaching the limit of where we are with this kind of training? Yeah, so I I think this will actually maybe be a better answer to the last question than the one I gave, which is there are tried and true educational models that work and we might not need to reinvent the wheel to get there. So the companies that I see that are doing customer education extremely well are using sort of this hybrid blended model or have a huge amount of resources dedicated to e-learning. So a company like HubSpot has a huge organization just dedicated to building out world-class e-learning. And they're doing a great job building out world-class e-learning. But in the same area, there are a bunch of companies who are pursuing this hybrid instructor-led training e-learning approach where they're trying to funnel users as early as possible in their journey to an experience with a live instructor where they can get them off on the right foot. And sometimes these are open-ended sessions where they're answering questions and just engaging with the user after they've had a couple interactions with the platform or their recurring trainings, which are essentially like how to get started with Tulip in 30 minutes. And once you can sort of get a user oriented and give them their first couple aha moments or get them to those first couple aha moments, they're already building that motivation. They're already much more likely to go back and get more out of the e-learning. So it could like the companies that are making e-learning role-based and contextual and relevant to what these folks are doing in their work life and supplementing that or leading that with instructor-led interactions. I think there's no reason to necessarily reinvent the wheel where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hmm. My last question for you, John, is, and these are early days, but I know that government and state bodies are involved. There's this mass bridge project where one is trying to figure out what the role is of obviously leading universities like MIT, for example, in Massachusetts, but also these pivotal kind of community colleges that historically, at least in the US, have taken the brunt of the responsibility for educating what I guess nowadays is called kind of the middle skills, which is sort of that skill level that is between high school and college or university, but it is perhaps two years and not four years. Uh, and it's a very practical based training. What do you think can be done there and, and what needs to be done? I know the idea of people involved in that process is that startups and corporations have a role to play there and a more important role arguably than before, perhaps because things are moving faster. Do you think that colleges that they have the physical location, many of them, unless they're sort of online colleges, so they have that advantage. Are they going to be able to scale to meet this challenge? Or is there some sort of happy in-between where there is this uh, collaboration between the you know governments, state or national, who fund some of these things, trainers, and then the practical experiences from corporations that have products that need training to be implemented and, and also obviously have instructors that, that know what they're talking about? Yeah. And again, this, I think just comes back to what are the learning outcomes we're looking for? Like, what are students really going to be expected when they get on to the job? And students in these sorts of programs for a long time have been expected to learn how CAD software works. And so it's been in the best interest of everybody involved to make sure that they're teaching Autodesk or SolidWorks or some other software in there. So students, the second they get out, they're using CAD software proficiently. So one thing we're seeing is that the market is moving in a direction where tools like Tulip, not just Tulip, there are a bunch of tools out there, but particularly Tulip is starting to be relevant to a lot of workers' features and especially tools that enable people to do a lot of things like 
Tulip can that open a lot of doors. So it makes sense for these partnerships to exist. It makes sense for students to be able to learn to develop software without writing code, to build applications, to work with tools that allow them to make an impact far beyond what they would be able to do otherwise the second they graduate. There's a lot of room for collaboration there. Yeah, well, I mean, what's so interesting is, I guess the ideal picture here is that even if the training is shorter, it still is advanced and practical, but not so practical that the skills get immediately outdated, right? Let's say that there's a new tool coming along. So that balance, I guess, is really the sweet spot is what we're aiming for, where you're not teaching these like massive skills that would enable you to get a PhD in some robotics technology, but you're also not teaching some sort of very, very specific method based on some proprietary tool that perhaps is gone the year after. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I keep coming back to the teach a man to fish situation where give people the underlying concepts that they'll be able to transfer across many different technologies rather than dedicating all of the effort to learning one specific technology. If you had a, I guess, a challenge to young people who might be listening to this or thinking, yeah, that's interesting, this training stuff, but, you know, manufacturing and all that stuff, that's not for me because these things aren't as exciting as you say they are. What, what is exciting about this moment in industry right now? Yeah, I mean, there's so much. So I would also say I would have been right there with you before where five years ago in my life where I thought I was going to be an academic, I was like, oof, manufacturing, that's not really my world. And now that I'm involved in it, I find it endlessly fascinating how things get made, the people who make them, all the sorts of technologies and processes that go into taking something that's parts or raw material into something that sits on your desk. It's super, super fascinating, complicated, fulfilling work. Yeah. You've been involved now for a few years. What is it that keeps you going? Is there something specific that you aim to do with this? Has this taught you something radically different about the workplace? Yeah. I think the thing that I keep getting excited about is seeing people who have not necessarily backgrounds like my own, but non-traditional manufacturing backgrounds being extremely successful in operational roles. Because often what's happening is you need people who are very good systems thinkers and are technically capable enough to pick up what they need to pick up, but they might not have a mechanical engineering or super technical background. And to see those people excel in operational roles is pretty interesting. It's exciting. John, super exciting to hear about. And Tulip University, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about. It's an exciting platform. And these are exciting times to be learning digital tools for industry and for frontline operations. Thank you for spending time with me. Thanks so much, Tron. Appreciate it. You have just listened to episode 72 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trondarne Unheim. The topic was Tulip and what is Tulip University. Our guest was John Claus, head of product education at Tulip. In this conversation, we talked about its current role and the way it helps operators get a flying start and how manufacturing training can be simplified as the industry needs to train millions of workers. My takeaway is that training is crucial to contemporary manufacturing, but not in the way we usually think about it. We hear employees must train people all the time, but what if the technologies they were training on and the user interfaces were so simple that the very limited training was necessary? Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode three on Reimagine Training, episode 46 on Manufacturing Training in Massachusetts, or episode two on how to train augmented workers. 
Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or in other episodes. And if you do so, please let us know. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, a frontline operations platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. And Tulip is also hiring. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where the industry, and especially industrial tech, is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Augmented, industry conversations that matter. See you next time.